Hello, everybody. You might have noticed this episode came out eight days late. Thank you for your patience. We were delayed because I was working on editing and posting a preview of a documentary film I'm working on called Chasing Atlantis. However, we will now be returning to our regular fortnightly Thursday releases, which means that after this episode, the next will follow on Thursday, July the 29th. In the meantime, if you'd like to check out the preview, you can visit ChasingAtlantis.com, a film about my journey to reconnect with a childhood dream of space exploration. Engage! Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Coming of Age. This episode was written by Sandy Fries and directed by Michael Vahar. It first aired on March 12th, 1988. For today's check-in, since we're looking at the episode that deals with the entrance exam to Starfleet Academy, uh, let's talk a little bit about tests and exams. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on tests and exams, Matthew? I was in university and obviously you're not supposed to bring like food and stuff in your exams with you but i didn't know that or i think i missed the memo on it or something anyhow i brought a snickers bar in and when i started eating the snickers bar this was my first ever university exam so my first this ever in the middle of the exam you started eating a snickers i started bar. eating a snickers bar and like during the exam like as you were writing as i'm writing so i'm writing okay. my first ever university exam my first year of university the person in front of me goes into anaphylactic shock oh no yeah the snickers because they have peanuts. Because they have peanut. That, that's how sensitive they were to peanuts. And wow. that's why that's why they didn't want food in, or one of the reasons anyway. And so this poor person, it was awful. Wow, that would not, <laughs> that would make me really scared for exams. Yeah, that was my first ever university exam. That was my experience. That was that person's probably first experience in their, their exam as well. It was <laughs> terrible. Oh, if no. that, this pers- that person won't be listening to the podcast, but if they're out there, I'm really sorry that that happened. But overall, they... Worse for them than for you. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Bad for both of you. Yeah, it was bad. Anyways, that's that's an abnormality. But I, I think, generally speaking, exams make me really stressed out. I don't know if they're healthy. Okay. Are tests healthy? Is that a... Are they a healthy thing? I don't know. So, okay, this is interesting. The first thing I want to say, just in response to your story, although I've already responded to it a couple times, um, but... But my the first thought that I had when you said you're not supposed to bring food to exams, but you missed the memo, is that I feel like I wouldn't think to bring food into an exam, but I don't remember ever getting, like when I was in first year university, I don't remember ever getting told, like, these are the rules, the general rules for when you're writing exams. Like I had, you know, professors would give, would say specific things like, I don't know, like I, if you sometimes they would say, like, if you finish within the last 10 minutes, please don't get up and leave early because then it's like a rush of people and it's really distracting to right. people who are still writing this. Sometimes they say things like that, but I don't remember ever hearing like general rules. Number one, don't bring anything with peanuts in like I or don't bring any food. I never I don't remember ever being told that. So I don't know if you missed the memo or if, like if people it wasn't just assumed clear. no one's going to bring food in. And then, you know, of course, someone is going to. If that's, yeah. And no one, no one had cell phones back then, so we weren't. They weren't worried about that yet, as you know, a potential right. for cheating. Or, yeah. Or By the time I started, there was a, a strict no cell phone policy, but I, I, I didn't get a phone until much, much later than that. Yeah, I tried but to. Like, I tried everyone to be cool else had one. and hold off for a while myself. Be that person who's I had like, a landline no, for so long. Yeah. Too- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you could, as a professor, you could choose something to replace a final exam, like a final assignment mm-hmm. instead. Mm-hmm. And I had one professor in particular who felt that that was, that was an important thing to do because they felt that exams weren't helpful, that they actually didn't yeah. help anyone to learn, that they were more stressed than they were worth. I just think like, you start, we start examining people in the education system so early. Yeah. You know, just your kids and you're, you're constantly, how many tests do we have to go, we go through in our lives? Like so many. It's, it's it's interesting that you you say that and asking if exams are healthy because I have a couple of thoughts that I don't think necessarily line yeah, up. You're a teacher. Yeah, I'm a teacher and I've I've given tests mm-hmm. and I I don't think that they are a super 
accurate measure of a student's learning. Mm-hmm. I think I think they can measure some element of that, but they are also like it's a very artificial setup. But one thing that I have found for myself and I've also observed among others is that sometimes but the thing that I always liked about exams, especially like when I was in university and all of the homework would be done, you go in, you write the exam, and then it's out of your hands. You can't obsess over every little thing because, you know, once those, however long it is, two hours, three hours, once that time is over, you have to hand it in. You can't like edit it again and like ask for an extension and 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 like, which is which is something that I sometimes struggled with, especially being a person who like, leaves things till the last minute like all of my essays were written the night before for like all assignments that I did yeah whereas with exams like I mean I could study the night before but when I'm writing the exam I'm writing the exam and once it's done it's done and so I think like there are different kinds of anxieties that can make different types of assignments and and assessments easier or harder so the kind of anxiety that's gonna make you like obsess over every little thing and I can't hand it in yet, I can't hand it in yet. For that, I think tests can be helpful because you don't have the option of not handing it in. Right. So if, if you have that sort of perfectionist streak in your work, mm-hmm. you have to just do it, right? Yeah. Whereas like for, I don't know, if, if you've got, I don't know, like a performance anxiety, then tests are really hard mm-hmm. because you're under pressure in that moment. I think I think a lot needs to be done for all kinds of assessment to reduce the pressure significantly because I don't I think we're sort of seeing more and more that stress isn't actually a super powerful motivator it can also be demotivating absolutely absolutely the thing too is that there's a certain ableism around examinations and how they're done as well like I there's a lot of times like I wish I would have had the opportunity to just sit down with someone and have a conversation right because you might not communicate as well in in that form right right yeah instead of writing everything or having to write like a structured essay and a sit down three-hour exam that in order to demonstrate knowledge or understanding to be able to sit down and just like talk about a subject which again is a much more practical skill and like a a, perhaps a more authentic assessment of how you would put your knowledge into practice and then as we'll see in this episode they don't shy away from the psychological component of the of the examination (laughs) that actually is the examination which is questionable and we'll get to but yeah there's a lot of of the exam practices in this episode that Mm -hmm. i have comments on yeah as a as a teacher but i feel also as someone who has gone through an education system. I was thinking about this recently, actually. I was like, as a teacher, I'm very, it's very rare that I don't have things to talk about with strangers because when I say that I'm a teacher, everyone has had some experience with education. So everyone's got some opinion on education. (laughs) So people usually have something to say. Okay. So like I, I have thoughts as a teacher, but also just like as a person who has had an education of any kind. I've got opinions on these exams. Like, I don't think you need to be a teacher right. to, to have these opinions. Okay, fair enough. But you you have experience from the other side of it, right? So, sure, yeah. Because I know that part of your interest in education was in shaping and changing the way education is done. Especially yeah. in like teaching certain subjects like mathematics that people generally mm-hmm. find difficult to learn. So if you could change examinations, say in something like mm-hmm. mathematics, what would you do? Okay, it's really hard. I think... This is getting this is going to get big. All right. Mm. So I'm not going to get into all of it because I do want to talk about Star Trek. But I think that with mathematics specifically, the assessment needs to change, but the instruction also needs to change. I think that mathematics needs to be a much more collaborative and creative endeavor because that's that's what math really is. It's about using, I think it's like using numbers as a vehicle to grapple with big ideas. Oh, that's that's awesome. And I don't think that, and I mean, when I say big ideas, I mean, like a lot of the time, they're still very theoretical ideas. They're not big ideas. They can be big ideas like like justice and equity and things like that, but they can also be like things like logic and and reasoning, just like practicing those skills. And we use numbers as a vehicle to do that. In high-level university math courses, you rarely use numbers. You use variables for everything because you're you're sort of proving that something can be true for any number. So to do that, you, you can't just like start at one and work your way up because <laughs> there are infinitely many numbers. But I think that like 
high school math and I will say like I have ideas but like there are a ton of people who have been doing a lot of work into changing how math is taught and and well for a lot longer than I've been doing it and who are doing a lot of great stuff so this isn't something that like nobody's talking about it's just change the change is very slow but I I think that that we need to make the instruction and the the learning of math much more collaborative and creative and in doing that, I think we'll find that the ways that we assess can also be more collaborative and creative. And, and you can have like projects and you can have kids like writing proofs and it doesn't have to be in a room for a certain amount of time. And then once you're done, I mean, I also like especially this year with everything going on, I think all teachers were making a lot of adjustments. And like I yeah. so I, I did give tests, but there was very little in the way of time limits and I gave every, you know, everyone had the opportunity to redo their tests if they needed to, because I just didn't see the point in basing someone's mark on how they were doing one day. Like, that's just silly. And I had another professor talk about the fact that they're actually restricted in the number of A's they can give out in a course, for example, right? Because you have to demonstrate that there's difficulty in the class and that that shows rigor in the learning. But they thought that was actually silly. And they said, you know what, if we could actually give bonuses for the entire class doing better, then rather than everyone looking at each other as competition, you would have more group learning. One of my poli-sci classes and the groups, everyone was sharing notes with each other. And I remember the group got together and they're like, oh, we found this great group of notes from one of the students. And like, <laughs> we, we should get together and like study them. And we were like, okay. And they handed out the notes and they were mine. And I was like, oh man, we're all, we're all screwed. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything. Funny, I have two things to say about that. The first is like with sharing work I okay I I think that that cheating is 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 a detriment to to a student's learning so I think it's it's not a good thing to do so I want to say that as a as a caveat if if what if what the cheating looks like is like, like kids are talking about how to solve a math problem then they're doing the math if it's something like okay first you write this now you write this now you write this now you write this okay now you have your final answer that's not that's not learning but if it's like they're working together then it's like they're both thinking, they're both engaged. That's better than a kid just staring blankly at a test and getting a zero on it. Yeah, totally, totally. The other thing that I was thinking about grades is I, I read, this was like a tweet that I read a, a while ago, I think like like in the fall, like in September or something. It really stuck with me just about, it was about grades. And it was like, grades are totally meaningless. Like the reason we we need to have some kind of grades is to know whether I have enough knowledge to move on to the next level. What good does like a C plus do me? Like, do I have the prerequisite skills for the next level of this material? If I do, then I should pass and I get it. If I don't, then I should, you know, have access to redo part of the course or something like that. But like knowing that you have 60% of the the knowledge, so you're able to pass, but not that's not enough knowledge to really have a solid foundation to do well in the following course. Like, that's not actually helpful to anyone. No. It's just basically like, well, you're kind of going to be screwed for the next one, but we're not going to make you do this one again. Yeah, it's almost just a way to stratify people probably unnecessarily and to at the same time, like it's it's something to hold over students. And because I was that keener, eager kid, like I always wanted the A and in the end it didn't like, what does that mean now? Like I don't have them written down somewhere. I don't really like there are transcripts. So that is true. Just order your transcripts from U of T and put it on your your wall. Yeah. But yeah. I will have more to say as this episode goes on. So should we? And I'm sure you will too. So should we should we get into it? All right. Let's do it. So in this episode, Wesley takes the entrance exam for Starfleet Academy while Starfleet launches an investigation into potential problems on board the Enterprise. I had totally forgotten that these two storylines were from the same episode. I remember both of them really distinctly, but I totally forgot that there was one episode. Yeah, and I forgot that that and that one of the storylines is like a prequel to another episode that that is yet to come as well, which I I had forgotten about. Which doesn't happen very often in Star Trek, especially not in Next Gen. We, TNG, yeah. yeah, we see that more. DS Nine, it happens. Yeah. yeah, but but you don't see a lot of arcs in TNG. Although maybe we'll see more as we watch all of them in order. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we open with Wesley running down the corridor and he's running to check in with his friend Jake. We don't know Jake, do we? I don't think so. I don't think we... Yeah, I was like, should I know this character? No, no, Jake is introduced for a plot device. All right. Um, But (laughs) basically, he is sad because Uh. he... Because Wesley is going to take the entrance exam and I guess Jake didn't qualify Mm -hmm. for it. Um, And so... 
it's a really short opening. Wesley beams down to Relva 7 to take the test. Mm -hmm. And uh, Picard's old friend, Admiral Quinn, Admiral Gregory Quinn, is on Relva 7. And he and Lieutenant Commander Dexter Remick are beaming up from the planet for something. We don't know what. To, to also examine them, right? So you have two two themes of examination going on. Yeah. yeah. It's really tense when they get there. Picard, like it's in his log. He's like, oh, and a pleasant surprise. My old friend Admiral Quinn is, is here. And then Quinn is like, I need to speak with you alone. This is official business. No one else is allowed to listen. Not even Riker. Not even the first officer. And I would also just like to point out that we learned that Tasha's full name is Natasha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's introduced as Natasha Yar. Natasha Yar. I just thought that it was important to note that. And then we get the intro. And then we cut to the ready room and Quinn is telling Picard that Remick is with the Inspector General's office and that they will be inspecting the Enterprise, but won't tell Picard what it is exactly that they are looking for. So this is prying now into the Enterprise mm -hmm. kind of and and again, so like two themes of examination, one examining Wesley and the other one examining the Enterprise's performance. Yeah. Down on uh, Relva 7, Wesley meets Oleana Moren, who like kind of flirts with him. It's a little funny, but she's a human and she is jealous because Wesley has experience on the Enterprise and she's like, oh, you're so lucky. I don't have any of that. There's also Tishonic of Volcana Ragar. So that's a, a Vulcan who's taking the entrance exam and Mordok, a Benzite who has made a name for himself, I think, because he he's has, the Mordok. He's the Mordok who came up with, I can't remember what they called it, but like the, not the Mordok maneuver, but basically the Mordok maneuver. And Wesley thought he was already in Starfleet, but no, no, he's not. And he's a Benzite. He's I a Benzite. I already said yeah. that. Yeah. I think he's the first Benzite we've seen. We also find out that Wesley is almost 16 years old now. He's going to be 16 next month is what he says. So TAC officer Chang welcomes them and says that only one student of the four will be chosen to continue on to join the academy, but that they are all worthy. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of went back and forth on this because I was like, if they're all worthy, why can't the why can't Starfleet just accept all of them? And like, maybe there's not enough space and probably they want to take, they, they don't want to take everyone from the same place because that would be giving like an advantage. So probably they have a limit to how many they can take from any test site. Yeah, I guess only so many people can be enrolled in the academy at one time. So that meant, I guess that makes sense. We've got this like utopian world where there's like <laughs> limitless resources and everything's fine. But, you know, only one one out of four people can, are allowed to get into Starfleet. You know, like it's a little it's a little inconsistent. It's hard to. But whatever. It makes for a good story. Yeah, I think it's trying to parallel Wesley's experience to something that would be understandable to a student of that age on Earth, right. I suppose. I guess it makes sense. Like, there's only so many starships that yeah. even a society that advanced can build at once. And so maybe they can only train and send so many people into Starfleet at one time. And Starfleet does take cadets from, like, all over the quadrant, right? Yeah, I guess the entire Federation. Yeah. And, and even outside the Federation. Yeah. So it's not like it's just the human colonies. It's any planet. Yeah. I guess they don't have space for everyone. The big weird thing for me is the way the tests are set up mm -hmm. is so they're all in the same room and the questions are like voiced out loud and then they, they just all sit with their back to each other. And that to me seems like it would be very stressful. I would not enjoy that. Yeah, because they're all being pit essentially against each other. They know that there's only limited spots and only one person is going to get chosen. Like it's basically a contest among the yes. four of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like fight. So, fight for our love. Kind of. Yeah, it's a little weird. Anyway, on the Enterprise, Remick is... <laughs> you know what Remick reminds me of? When I, I've had in my life as a teacher, not like evaluations. Like as a teacher, you're sometimes evaluated by the principal or whatever. And and sometimes that's really helpful because you, the principal writes you a really good um, evaluation and it goes, in, you know, you can use that for like references and applying for other jobs and stuff like that. Sometimes people do like not evaluations, but just like observations where they just like walk around classrooms and like sometimes and, and just like silently observe and make notes. It's just very ominous. It's just a weird, it's a weird feeling to have someone do that like while you're working. In this case, they don't know why, what it yeah. is that they're even looking for. They don't know. And that's sometimes the case when like principals or VPs or whatever go and observe. It is sometimes the case that like you don't know, like they're just go going around the school to see all sorts of things, but it can be like, is there a problem? Have there been complaints about how I'm teaching? And sometimes the kids are like, why is that person here? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I, I don't know. So yeah, so Remick really reminds me of that. And Riker basically asked that question. He comes into the ready room and Riker's 
it's Riker's job to make sure that the ship runs properly. And he feels very much like Remick is getting in the way of that. And so he yeah. says, like, he asks Picard, he's like, what's going on? And he's upset that he hasn't been put in the know. He wonders if whether or not he's under investigation. if And that's yeah. why he's being left on the side. And Picard tells him, he's like, I don't even know. But also, if he did know, he wouldn't be able to, tell, be able to tell Riker. So, yeah. so Riker doesn't know if Picard's being honest with him. And then Riker comes out and he... Remick wants to ask him some questions, but he he's like, no, not right now when it doesn't interfere with my duties. And he just like storms off. Yeah, dresses him down in front of the entire bridge crew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally understand Riker's like frustration. I also think that Riker, I don't know, this is something to keep an eye on for later. I think Riker has trouble taking direction or orders from anyone other than Picard. <laughs> I think he decided Picard yeah. is who he's going to listen to. And that's, and the, that's, that's the only person, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that does seem to come up more. And, and when he has an issue with it, he makes it a big deal in front of everybody. He's a little bit dramatic that way. He it's also it's also hard to tell on the bridge when they shoot things what things are like supposed to be like a like almost like a Shakespearean aside and which ones yeah, are not. Right. Like right. sometimes like two co- like two people having a conversation like it's seemingly right in the open, but it's as if like nobody else could hear them on the bridge. It's really weird. Like sometimes you don't know. <laughs> In this like open space. Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. And so unless they show specifically when there's a conflict between two characters on the bridge, the reaction of everyone else like turning and looking, <laughs> you don't know for sure if everyone else actually yeah. heard them or not, even though they're in one tiny space. Yeah. I mean, I think in this one, it's it's fair to assume that it's that everyone hears because yeah. Riker's basically shouting yeah. it. But yeah, you're absolutely yes. right. <laughs> he storms off and goes into the yeah, triple lift gone. and he's like, nope, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. Then down on the planet. So everyone gets a question right, except for Oleana and she is very vocal about her frustration like she's like oh like Wesley and Mordock you're both so lucky that things come so easily to you I have to work so hard and Wesley's like well I have to study all the time too which like I don't think is true because when he was drunk on gravity water he was able to figure (laughs) out how to fix the tractor beam when no one else was able to do that. I think some things do come easily to Yeah, I, I think that Wesley does still work very hard. He's always, like, doing experiments and, and totally. doing stuff. He's Yeah, but it does seem like he has a bit of a genius streak about him. There's, it's a little bit of, like, unexamined privilege there that he's like, no, I work hard too. And, like, you might, but, like, things do, like, it's okay to acknowledge that things come easily. Yeah sometimes and that's not the case for everyone no and then she says it's a good thing that you're cute wesley or you could be really obnoxious and (laughs) i mean okay i have two things to say about that all right one is when i saw this episode as a child i very much agreed with her yeah wesley's cute wesley's super cute super cute also wesley gets really excited that she thinks he's cute which i feel is not the right takeaway but i feel like he could have focused more on the obnoxious side (laughs) the fact that like if you weren't cute you'd be really annoying like maybe be less annoying then that's one thing i will grant wesley though as the character that the way that they created him is that he is like, obviously, he has a lot of talent and skill. He never comes across as, like, arrogant. Except for the time when he said, you're welcome, ladies, to Troy and Oh, Prussia. yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that part. That was, that was arrogant. Let's say from here forward. He's, he's like, surprised when, when people are proud of him. He's like, someone likes me? Yeah. Amazing, yeah. And he doesn't know how cute he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Back on the bridge, Riker thinks that he should apologize to Picard for his frustration earlier. But, you know, Picard says, like, it's don't worry about it. Riker gets called into the, the ready room to, to answer yeah. questions from Remick. And Remick's like, sit down. And Riker's like, no. He, like, folds his arms and he won't sit down. And Remick's like, it's not going to change the length of my questioning. Just if you think yeah. that I'm going to get rid of you faster. And, and then I think we see the first instance of what I think is called the Riker maneuver. Which is the way he sits. Oh, is this the first time? Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but so Riker sometimes, I don't know if it's always, but he sometimes sits down in those chairs by stepping over the back and lowering himself. Right. And I heard that he did that because, that Jonathan Frakes did that because he had like back problems and Mm -hmm. getting in front of a chair and then sitting back. It was easier to like place his body over it and just lower rather than backing into it, so to speak. Do you know if that's true at all or was it just a quirk? Yes, I've heard him say that that was because of of having a bad back. But also those chairs are really low and he's quite tall. So it just it might just be more efficient way of sitting down. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Because it is like, yeah, the the back. He doesn't have to lift his leg very hard to step over the back of it. No. If I were doing it, I would have to like 
climb up because I'm very short. I never really noticed until someone had pointed it out to me, the Riker maneuver, and then and then you can't unsee it. Yeah, I, I saw like like a YouTube super cut that's like Riker <laughs> yeah, yeah. sitting down 90 times yeah. every time he's stepping over the back of the, the chair. chair. And you're like, man, I should do that. But then in real life, like chairs are, are really high in the back. Anyways, yeah, chairs in the Enterprise yeah, are low. And everyone has perfect posture, I guess, because those chairs don't go up the back of your body in the Enterprise. They'd go, you know, those chairs would be perfect for me. I'd yeah. like them. You sit yeah. forward a lot. I guess everyone, yeah, everyone in the future has, sits properly, has good posture, I guess so. strong I back. guess so. Yeah, everyone's got good core strength and no spinal issues. No spinal and... issues, yeah. Remick is really pushing Riker on. He wants kind of Riker to to slip about his loyalty to Picard. Yeah. Really pushing Riker about whether or not the captain has ever falsified logs, you know, whether or not the captain has ever been like negligent in his duties. And yeah. Riker Riker doesn't want to answer. And Rebek gets frustrated and basically starts yelling at him. Yeah. And he he says there are several discrepancies in the log. Let's let's go over them one by one. But we don't get to hear them because no. I guess they didn't want to actually figure out what they would be. No, we get like a mini montage of him now starting yeah. to basically I I don't want to say interview. It's almost more like interrogate other members of the crews. It yeah. seems like about the captain. Yeah. And and we get like these nice little callbacks to previous episodes. So like with LaForge, he asks about the issue with Kaczynski and the Traveler and he's he's saying like Picard lost control of the ship and LaForge is like we were or Picard was ordered to hand over control to Kaczynski yeah and then with Troy this one actually really bugged me because he's like has Picard ever had any mental lapses and he brings up the stargazer incident with the Ferengi mind control thing and he calls that a mental lapse which is very victim blamey to me oh yeah no he was being he's being manipulated by like that orange ball thing. Yeah, it's like saying, you know, if someone, you know, alters your your mental state, someone d- does that intentionally to you and then saying like, oh, well, you shouldn't have like, that's not that's not OK. No. So, no. yeah, super, super not OK. There's a nice moment here between Wesley and Worf, which is kind of cool. I love this scene. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. Yeah. First of all, because you don't often see Worf in like a mentor figure capacity. You do sometimes, but not not super often. But also, I don't think there's many times where Worf and Wesley get lone screen time together. Yeah. You know, one thing that I kind of liked about this scene or that I found really relatable and I can't put my finger on why is Worf enters the holodeck and then he sees that Wesley's there and he's like, oh, sorry, I'll leave you alone. And Mm -hmm. Wesley says, Wesley says, I wanted I thought I wanted to be alone, but I actually don't. And for some reason, it was just really relatable to me that in a time when I felt like I might want to be alone, that having the opportunity to talk with this like sort of grumpy, gruff person might actually be very soothing for me. Yeah, I think especially in this case, he knows Wesley. This is one of the times we start talking in the episode about a test that is coming where they call it the psych test that Wesley will have to face his biggest fear. And in that case, Perhaps Worf walking in is serendipitous because, well, here's a person whose society is based off courage and facing fear mm-hmm. and finding honor in that. So maybe Wesley also thinks, hey, this actually be, might be the right person to talk to about this. You know, it makes sense to me that Wesley wouldn't want to talk to his mother or LaForge or even Picard or Troy, who would maybe say things that are more comforting. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he's not looking for that. He's looking for like support and Worf gives him that first by saying that it's it's just one out of all of the tests. It's not any more or less important than anything else. And then he says thinking about what you can't control only wastes energy and creates its own enemy. Yeah. And then he talks about himself. Wesley is very, very careful not to push him. He's like, sorry, I'm, I'm asking too many personal questions. And then Worf talks about he, he starts talking about his own test. And he doesn't say what it was, but Mm -hmm. he says that he has difficulty depending on others for anything, especially for his life. And Wesley's like, you do that every day on the Enterprise. And Worf is like, I know, and it sucks. I hate it. (laughs) But I still do it. I started thinking that myself. And then I'm like, I'm glad Wesley pointed that out. Because as he was saying it, I'm like, wait, wait a second. You have to all the time. And I think that's also important, too, that like he says, it's still my enemy. Mm -hmm. But like. And I think that's such an important thing to remember is that like just because someone does something that doesn't mean that it's easy for them or that they enjoy it with like with colleagues of mine when I think like, oh, that teacher like is so good at classroom management, like their class never misbehaves and I'm always like a mess. And as I got to know some of my colleagues better and got a little more experience with teaching, I was like, no, it's not. It doesn't come easily to them. They're they're working really hard at that. 
Sure. And they're trying different things. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Like Worf didn't get over his fear of depending on other people. Right. He does it because that's the only way he can do his job. Yeah, and, and Wesley seems surprised that Worf's afraid of anything, right? And he brings yeah. that up, and then Worf replies, only fools have no fear. Yeah. That was great. It also made me wonder in that moment what everyone else's tests were. Oh, the rest of the crew. Yeah, all the rest of the characters. Granted, this would have been the characters probably far before when we had met them, when they had yeah. been younger. Or I was just thinking about what those tests may have been for each of them. Yeah, what did, what did Riker have to, probably someone other than his captain telling him what to do? He still hasn't managed to do yeah, that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, we go back to the bridge, and this is the one time where Remick says something that I completely agree with because the alarms have gone off and there's an unauthorized entry in the shuttle bay and young Jake, whom we had met earlier in the hallway, has stolen the shuttle. And Remick is like, is security so lack on the ship that someone can just walk <laughs> off with a shuttle? And I'm like, yeah, that is a great question, Remick, because it seems to be something that keeps happening for the entire rest of the series. Okay, so that that is fair. I felt like Remick was insufferable. Oh, he was in this part for sure. Like, I, okay, I'll I'll grant the security issue, but there is. I mean, they they do address it in this. They don't they don't address it with like why Lore was able to access everything or like anything like that. But they they do address it. That actually would have been an interesting conversation to have. Like, hmm, how did this evil android get access to the ship's like schematics? But they do address it, and Riker's like, well, he has he's, training. He is he's trained in right. and like and he and he is a, a candidate for Starfleet Academy. People in that position, I guess, are granted certain access. But you have to give space for people to mess up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people who don't who don't deal with with teenagers on a regular basis are sometimes like, well, you know, no, you should be creating conditions so that no one's ever going to mess up. Right. <laughs> like, it's just not possible. No, you could you can kind of create like a boundary space, but within it, yeah. people are going to do certain things. It's not possible to not do that. But what basically Jake is running away to Beltane 9 to sign on to a freighter because he's very ashamed yeah. that he didn't qualify for the entrance exam. It's 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 very it's, it is sad and it's yeah. it's hard. I was like, why do you need to get on the freighter? You have a shuttlecraft now. Just like take off. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was like he wanted to work on a freighter. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But then I figured like if you're trying to run away, you have the shuttlecraft. Like how is he going to get it back to them if he ends up signed on to the freighter? I didn't. Oh, no, no, no. no, That shuttlecraft is gone. This is not a well thought out plan. No, no, no. It's not well thought out. Yeah. So I was thinking about that afterwards. I was like, yeah, but if all that even works, how are you going to? All right. Never mind. No, 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 no. The shuttlecraft is stolen. Yeah. Despite his training. He somehow manages to unbalance the dilithium reactor. The shuttle's engines shut off. And now he's plunging into the atmosphere of this planet. It is going to burn up. And Picard has to basically tell Remick to either shut up or get re- get himself removed from the, the bridge. Yeah. From the bridge. And he, he is being like super unhelpful. He's yeah. just like, may I remind you, Picard, that you are responsible for this child's life. And Picard's like, I already know that. Yeah, like, no kidding. I'm responsible for everyone's life. Yep. Everyone on the bridge knows exactly what's going wrong and what needs to happen. And Riker's like, well, it's going to take this much time for the engines to cool off before he can restart it. And mm-hmm. Data's like, uh, even if that happens, he's not going to have enough pull from the planet or whatever. So Picard walks Jake through basically the process of aiming the shuttle right at the planet. The engines aren't working, so he's He's being pulled into the planet, I guess, from gravity and then building up momentum. And then when the speed reaches 0.02, builds up momentum and then bounces the shuttle off the atmosphere. And Remick, for a moment, is really excited. He kind of forgets himself and he's like, he kind of gets swept up in the excitement on the bridge, but then, of course, kind of slips back into being a jerk. Yeah, Yeah, he's like, I didn't get any discipline training and all that stuff and Picard points out, he says young men, but it's everybody makes rash choices. Yeah. And Even old people, older people can make rash choices. Too. Yeah. People make rash choices. People make rash choices. And what's important is how you react to it, not preventing people from ever making rash choices. On Relva 7, we see another conflict. An officer gets mad at Wesley for bumping into him. And this dude's really big. He's so he's a tall. Really large person. He's so much taller than Will Wheaton. Wesley's trying to apologize to him, and then he grabs Wesley and kind of yells at him. And finally, also Wesley's like, "Do you want this to get violent?" He kind of yells back at him, and you're like, "Oh man!" You know what it reminded me of <laughs> when Wesley yells at him? 
It reminded me of when you and I worked together in uh, residence life back in the day. Back we in the day. We were both residence advisors and we had to do like assertiveness training. Oh, yeah. And okay. Do you remember we had to, there, there were like four things. There was aggressive, passive, passive aggressive and assertive and we basically had to like play out each of those we were training to be residence advisors yeah in a way we had to go through the same tests that wesley's going through right now <laughs> we kind of I mean, it was similar it was yeah. and, and this was because we find out afterwards that this was like a cultural sensitivity test but right. it just reminded me of of when wesley like finally sticks up for himself and he's like who are you? You do you think you're yelling at? You bumped into me. Do you want it to get violent? It reminded me of like when we had to like act out aggressive. And it was like, the, I'll, I'll just clarify that the whole purpose of this was that we were supposed to realize that that you don't want to be too passive. You don't want to be too aggressive. You don't right. want to be passive aggressive. You want to land on assertive. But we had to like, I guess, try them all on. <laughs> yeah, we Notice them all how on. they didn't fit. So it, it felt like this. It felt like Wesley was trying on aggressive really hard. There. It works in the end because what happens is the Zaldan is infuriated by courtesy. Yeah. So Wesley noticed that his hand was webbed. So that was when he started yelling. Wesley notices hand is webbed and that he was a Zaldan. It also made yeah. me wonder, though, how many Zaldans are in the Federation or in situations like yeah. this. I remember you have cultures that span an entire portion of the galaxy. Yeah. They all have to interact with each other in the same ship. And I guess you would have to. You understand how to navigate all that diplomacy, even as a regular officer. The Zaldan doesn't need to learn to navigate it, apparently. Just Wesley. That's right. Although he was he was putting it on, I guess. I don't know. It's not yeah, it clear. might have been part of it, yeah. Chang is there observing it, and, and he basically says, not all tests are announced. Which That's is, right. Which is also okay. problematic. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But Mordok is there, and Mordok mentions that he wouldn't have known what to do in that situation. So Can, can I just say as an aside that I love the matter-of-fact way that Mordok says everything? Yeah, it's great. It's like I would not. It's like I would not have known what to do. I would not have known. Huh? Interesting. Hmm. Good to know. (laughs) So yeah, I think in a way, then they're trying to show that the tests, the the entry requirements, are to show that you're as well rounded. Yeah, it's not just academics. Yeah, or like knowing how to mix antimatter and stuff like that. So then, on the observation lounge, we get one of these scenes that I feel like this is a common common device for doing uh interrogation mm-hmm. scenes where you like the person asks a question and then you see the person that you see the, the person being interrogated they answer and then it goes back to the interrogator asking a different question but then it's a new person it's a new person <laughs> yeah yeah he says to this is a little funny i feel like he's tr- he's sort of outsourcing his work because he says to data there's a problem in the ship's records and picard is not what he appears to be so you have to find the problem but he clearly doesn't know what the problem is he's like there is a problem you have to find out what it is and data's like no there. I know that there isn't a problem. When Remick is trying to make this point, he flips one of those laptop or desktop computer things around to Data to yeah. show Data records in quotation marks. Yeah. And Data's like, just kind of shrugs and turns it back toward him and is <laughs> like, like, no, there's nothing wrong. It's, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing here. Yeah. Then he asks uh, Worf about how the vir- the gravity water virus got onto the ship in the Naked Now. Yeah, it was from um, gravity. Like It's not like they could stop that. Yeah. Worf is super huffy. He's like... By accident. Accidents happen. And then he gets like not cool personal with Crusher and starts asking about whether or not she's comfortable working with the person who's responsible for the death of her husband. And I don't think that I don't know. I don't remember when exactly now we we've learned about this, but we know at some point Picard had to make a decision in the rescuing of people that led to Jack Crusher. Beverly's husband and Wesley's dad being killed. Yeah, I mean, we it's, it kind of gets spelled out at the end of this episode. But yeah, I was I was going to ask about that. Like, did we knew that that he had died serving under Picard? Mm-hmm. I don't think we knew this. And I don't know that it was ever stated that Picard was responsible for his death. Okay, yeah, that might be the case, yeah. I, but I'm not sure. Sometimes I get those things out of order because I've watched the series. So I know, times. yeah. I know that there was, it was covered in a book and I, I don't think any of the Star Trek books are really considered like canon or whatever, but that in the end it was like a damaged warp nacelle was exploding or going to uh-huh. explode and they were trying to get away from it and, and Picard had to make a choice to either pick someone or someone else and they had to make, yeah. a, uh, had to make a choice. Yeah. I also want to say like this is a, this was on television during the day, so when anybody could be watching, so they obviously weren't allowed to swear. But Crusher comes about as close as possible to telling him to f off. Oh yeah, yeah. Her <laughs> response is pretty is is great. Like she just yeah. establishes that boundary immediately. She basically says like, "No, 
we're not doing that. And that her relationship with the captain is none of Remick's business. Yeah, not relevant, not your business. And then finally, he's questioning Picard about saving Wesley from the Edo and violating the Prime Directive in the episode Justice. And Picard is like, yep, I did violate the Prime Directive, just like I said in my log. Right. Then Picard's like, no, this has gone on long enough. Remick says, are you afraid that if I keep looking, I'll find that you're guilty? But like, what is he accusing Picard of? Yeah, it's it's just a, it's kind of this tactic to shake, shake him yeah. up because, you know, Picard is is quite comfortable that Remick isn't going to find anything. Yeah. So Picard finally confronts Quinn about like why this is all going on. Because this whole time, Remick has kind of been at the front, like leading all the questions and, mm-hmm. and doing all the dirty work while Quinn just kind of sits back and doesn't do anything. Picard's like, you know, we've known each other all this time. Mm-hmm. Why won't you tell me what's going on? Like, why won't you trust me? And it's and he says like this, this has put a strain on our friendship, which like, I mean, sometimes admirals probably have to do things that will put a strain on their friendship with people like that. That happens when you're in a position of authority. You yeah, can't be as so. good friends with them. So yeah. then we're down on Relva 7. They're doing a test where they have to like, I don't know, get these little balls into a box, but it's all digital. Like it's all in the They're computer. All floating around. And Mardok's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too fast. And Wesley like helps him, not like by cheating, but like by helping him. Encourages him. And he's like, you know what to do. Just yep. do it. You already have your dimensional progressions in place or something. It's basically, it's a space Rubik's Cube. And then Mordok finishes before Wesley and Officer Chang says that he's the, that was the second fastest time in, in of anyone. Mm-hmm. Mordok feels really guilty and tells Officer Chang, well, I, I shouldn't have won because Wesley helped me. And, and Officer Chang knew that and he was like, oh, that was an interesting choice, Wesley. Like, Yeah, especially considering that they're all in competition with each other. He also says like, interesting choice considering how close you two are yes this is one thing also that bugged me about it that it really like they really frame this as it's it's down it's gonna be either mordok or wesley like it's between the two of them and i Mm -hmm. wish that we had gotten to see more strengths of of oleana and tashanik yes but it, it really seems like yeah you two really weren't in the running like wesley is written to be a little bit like practically perfect in every way sort of he must have some things that he's not as good at and like Oleana probably has strengths that Wesley and, and Mordok don't have and Tashanik probably also has strengths. So yeah, it just bugs me. One of them's just there to be an alien, another alien, and one of them's there to tell Wesley that he's cute. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remick has finished his report and couldn't find anything wrong. And so they're all standing in Quinn's quarters together. And he tells Quinn, he's like, I couldn't find anything wrong. Yeah. And that he feels like he's failed and yeah. that there is a casual familiarity among the bridge crew but it that it comes from teamwork and a feeling of family and trust in one another. And that it's funny because despite all the trouble that he's just caused on the ship, he looks at the captain as he's about to leave and he's like, you know, I'm going to be finishing up in the inspector general's office in like the next <laughs> six months. And when I'm done, I'm going to, I want to apply to serve aboard the Enterprise. And Picard's just like kind of gives this casual side eye. Like, you know, it's never going to happen. The look on his face is amazing. Like he's, He's just like, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And Remick then just kind of like looks down and realizes uh, this is probably never going to happen. And then just leaves. He he just takes off. Yeah. It's not just like, is Picard going to want him to work there? It's not just that, I feel. It's also like, you want to work with all of these people who you have just been like bugging and like interrogating? You think You think they're going to be fun to work with after you did all of that? There's a lack of self-awareness, I think, on Remick's part here yeah. a little bit. Picard, of course, is very angry. And he's like, okay, why did we go through all this charade? Yeah. And to his credit, when Quinn is like, don't judge him too harshly, Picard is like, oh, no, it's not him that I'm judging. It's yeah, you, it's, Quinn. It's you. Yeah, he, he created the situation. Yeah. So he's like, what's what's going on? And basically, Quinn says, here's the deal. A bunch of us have started to think that there's something going on. There's some kind of conspiracy. Someone mm-hmm. wants to destroy the Federation. I want to promote you to Admiral and make you Commandant of Starfleet Academy. Yeah, McQuinn was essentially testing Picard to make sure that he was still loyal. So there might be some kind of, yeah, like you said, a conspiracy. conspiracy. Quinn doesn't know who's loyal and who isn't. So this was a way to test Picard. I love Picard's reaction that first he's like the Academy in kind of like awe. He's like, oh, me be Commandant of the Academy. And then he like thinks for like five seconds or less even. And he like, 
He's like, the Academy? Yeah. <laughs> like this disapproving disbelief. Either that or he was just surprised that they're going to, that he's being given a role that's such large responsibility after all the mistrust that's already been shown. To yeah. Him. So, yeah. But yeah. also I feel like, you know, Picard has said that he's not good with children. Yes. And that is, yeah, with, <laughs> I, with well, I guess it's not children at the Academy anymore. Young, younger people, but yeah. People Wesley's age. <laughs> Well, he seems to be he seems to be better now with Wesley. He's gotten yeah, used to Wesley yeah. at least anyway a bit. So yeah, Picard. I mean, like he doesn't have a lot of time to decide. He's like, okay, I'll let you know by tonight if I'll take this job. Back on Rel of the Seven, Wesley waits for his psych test to start. He sees Mordok leaving a room first, and Mordok walks past, and his his hands are just shaking. Yeah. So clearly, he's been shook by his psych test, and he walks into this weirdly shaped room. There's just like a chair. And chair. he just sits down yeah. and says, okay, well, I'm here. And then he's like, maybe they forgot. And <laughs> maybe they forgot. It's so, they forgot about me. So funny, yeah. He reminds himself to breathe. And then he hears an explosion from outside the room. He kind of like waits. And then, of course, conscientious Wesley Crusher runs to see what the problem is. There's a problem in the environmental lab. So he makes his way into the environmental lab. There's no one else around. So the situation is there's one person whose legs are like crushed like stuck under a pipe and mm-hmm. then there's another person holding on to like a wall or a, a something who's like frozen with fear and there's like i don't know not fumes but like probably dry ice there's stuff spraying stuff out. spraying out dangerous stuff spraying yeah and then the, the computer is saying like 60 65 seconds to seal off so wesley he goes to help the person whose legs are stuck under the pipe he goes to lift the pipe and then drag that person out and he tries to get the other person to to come out as well he's like you can do it and but but that other person is just too scared and that person says like i can't yeah and he's not injured the second person no. isn't injured so he's, he's cap- physically capable of walking but is just terrified by the situation mm-hmm. wesley's trying to encourage him but has to make a call and so he grabs the the wounded officer and or person and and drags them out just yeah. as the computer decides to seal the lab yeah it, and it really is like he only has time he would i'm i have no doubt if he had the time he would take the first person out run back in and bring the second person out yeah but there there is not enough time and i counted actually because i all i always do that whenever the computer says this, this much time left timer. <laughs> and it, it was about 65 seconds that it took nice then all of a sudden, it yeah. all stops. And all the person stops. whose legs are crushed gets up and walks away. The person who is too scared to leave just like calmly exits the lab and sort of just like nods at Wesley. Well, nod to Wesley. And <laughs> yeah. Officer Chang is there and is like, yeah, it's fine. That was the test. And Wesley realizes that was a test. Yeah. You know, I like that Chang says that Wesley had to make a choice, but there was no right or wrong because I was a little worried that mm-hmm. this could get too much into like, well, this one person was really injured and the other person was just scared and like it's true that the other person wasn't injured but when you're when you're frozen in fear that's not any less of a problem right still you're not able to move so i like that chang said that there was no right or wrong just that wesley had to make a choice because wesley know knew that captain picard had to make a similar choice and that choice had led to the death of wesley's father the fear that Wesley had if they were probing his deeper fear is that he wouldn't be able to make a similar choice because he knows how someone else's choice impacted his life and what happened as a result. So can we talk about this test a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) So, I mean, I think I don't know what, what the research or common knowledge having to do with like trauma, you know, trauma responses was in 19... 87 and 88. I don't think there were any trigger or content warnings. No. I think at least now we know that like forcing people to go through traumatic experiences doesn't actually like desensitize you in the way that maybe we once thought it did. Right. It's something that I remember someone saying a while ago about like fire drills. When there's a fire drill, for the most part, people know that it's a drill. The purpose isn't to pretend that it's a fire so so people act like they think there's a fire. The purpose is that you you build the sort of automatic habit of, okay, the fire alarm's going off, we get up, we leave our classroom, and we get out of the school in, in this way. Right. It's not like, let's pretend there's a fire, and if there, if there had been a real fire, you would have been dead, or you know that kind of stuff. That's not actually helpful. Right. So that's the first thing. Another issue is I don't think that it is at all reasonable to expect someone who hasn't even started at the academy 
to be able to make this choice. I think like this is something you learn. Through. I don't think it's I don't think it's reasonable to expect it of a cadet, an ensign, a lieutenant. Like this is something you learn as you work through the ranks. This isn't the first time that officers need to go through this kind of test, yeah. as we'll find out later in the show. Yes. It's like. Yeah. There are several times in the progression of your rank that you end up getting subjected to this kind of testing. I don't know what I think about it. Like at times I was like, well, you know, they knew that this kind of examination was going to come. They know that it's based on your deeper fears. So I'm like, is that informed consent? I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's enough. No. And then it's like, does it actually help? And you're saying it may, it may not. I don't know I if don't that makes so. you... If it doesn't make you a stronger person after you face something like that, I don't know. I don't think so. Like yeah. I, what, and I, I mean, I do think that the, I'm again, like I don't know what the what the research was saying or what the common wisdom of this stuff was saying at the time. I really don't. But I, I think that people did sort of like colloquially. I don't know what like actual people who study this kind of stuff were saying, but but sort of common wisdom. I think was. Yeah, this kind of thing makes you stronger. And at the time that this episode was what came out, that that it, it kind of made sense then that you have to face your fears. Yeah, exposure therapy is a real thing, and I think that some people do find it effective. But like, it's done with a trained person, who and over is, time, and over time, and and gently, and with kindness, not just like. You know, we're going to make you think that someone is actually dying because of a choice that you made. Yeah. And like you said, this is not even part of the academy training. This is just to get into the academy. That's intense. Like even thinking back to what Worf said, like if his test involved depending on other people for his life, that's also hard. And he was what, like 15, 16 at the time? <laughs> like so. So that's also, you know, that's not that's also not necessarily reasonable to expect. Yeah. The, his similar scenario might have been the opposite is that he had to be rescued by someone else. Yeah. Had to like call out for help or whatever. Which would be very traumatic. Yeah. How do they simulate oh my gosh. that? Yeah. Earlier in the episode, they say that that Picard was responsible for Jack Crusher's death. And then here, Wesley doesn't say Captain Picard. He like starts. He's like, because Cap. And then he stops himself. And then he's like, because someone had to make that choice. Yeah. Th this is a, a nice the sort of rare moment of like Star Trek revealing something in a not super subtle, but like slightly subtle way that I kind of like. They never do go down. A, a, I guess could have been a potential plot line is that Wesley harbors resentment towards Picard for that like they, they never do that route they, if anything it's more that he looks up to Picard as like a another father figure they don't ever go down that path I actually think that's better it would I think it's better character development that way in terms of the relationship between Picard and Wesley like yeah we don't we don't see that I don't think we see that resentment yeah back in the ready room Picard tells Riker that Remick didn't find anything and that the investigation was actually of him like they were, yeah. he was the one being investigated. And he explained that Quinn wants him to take over as commandant of the academy. And Riker has this big smile, probably because Riker thinks, well, I'm going to get to be captain now, I suppose. <laughs> I don't have to take orders from anyone at all. That's it. Now it's just me. <laughs> no one can tell yeah. me what to do. And then he realizes that he hasn't decided. Like he smiles at him and Picard doesn't mirror the sentiment. So he's like, oh, okay. So I guess you haven't decided. And then he kind of like folds his arm and he's like, what I've decided is that I'm going for a walk. And he just yeah, walks like, out I of like the that. room. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, down on, back on Ralva 7, Chang announces to everyone again. So he's like, yeah, Mordok is going to be the one joining the Academy. Mm -hmm. I think he says that he's going to be the first Benzite. I'm not sure. Did he say that? I believe so. And yeah. and that, that ends up being a plot point in another episode yes. later. But yes. Yeah, and then he says, yeah, his results were slightly higher than Mr. Crusher's, which is I, the implication is the other two weren't Again, weren't even yeah. close. I don't I don't love. Yeah, he does say he's going to be the first Benzite. And then Mordok feels guilty that that Wesley lost points for helping him. But but Chang is basically like, no, you still won. Yeah, would have lost anyway. You're like, oh, OK. They all like I like how they all have their like ways of congratulating him. So like Wesley's super generous. You would have done the same for me. And Mordok's like, you're right. I would have. Tashanik just shakes his hand in the Vulcan way, says congratulations, and that's it. Yep. And Oleana's like, well, I'm going to apply again next year, and I don't like losing, so I'm going to be hard to beat. You better study up, Wesley. At that point, I was kind of sad we never see her again. 
never I was like that'd be cool if we heard from again yeah spoilers everyone but we don't Oleana never comes back yeah. but it would have been cool if she had yeah back up on the Enterprise the captain is in dress uniform walking around the hallways because he's going to be saying goodbye to Admiral Quinn and of course bumps into Jake in the hallway and at first he doesn't notice who it is because <laughs> his head's down he's kind of just walking and yeah. Jake's basically like oh I'm gonna be able to get away from him and it walks yeah, yeah. past him and then you see Picard stop and turn around and be like hey wait I, I want to talk to you basically and Jake so you see his face just fall like, yep. oh gosh but he I mean they have a, a good a, I think a pretty good conversation the first thing he says is are you feeling better yeah it, it, actually I really loved this scene because it's not you stole a shuttle from a federation ship like you think well the other alternatives could be you go to jail yeah, basically that's... you're like you're to prison that's not what happened at all he has to work on fixing the shuttle as part of his discipline training which mm-hmm. I think again like a it's in, in in line with the sort of natural consequences yeah repairing idea. harm yeah, you 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 screwed up and and now you've got to fix it. That's right. He's really specific in the lesson that he hopes Jake has taken away from this. He's like, "I hope you learned that running away doesn't solve anything." Yep. And he also reminds reminds Jake that even though he messed up, he still kept his wits about him. He was yep. still able to follow the instructions Picard gave him. It's a little funny. He says, like, thank you for saving my life. And Picard, like, answers kind of aggressively. He's like, that's my job, young man. That's my job, young man. Which is funny. This is something I've I've encountered and I see it in, like, you know, TV shows when someone says thank you and the response is like, I was doing my job. It's like, okay, but you can take the thank you. Like, you don't... (laughs) I said that to someone... I forget what what the context was, but I was like, thank you so much for your help with that. And the person was like, oh, that's my job. And I was like, okay, but like, I'm still allowed to appreciate it. Yeah, you can still be appreciated in your job. I was just thinking like if Jake ends up trying to test for the academy because that's one of the things he's frustrated about he mm. walks into that room and it's like a shuttlecraft cockpit plunging into an atmosphere oh, no. he's like oh my god <laughs> but he knows what to do and he can keep his wits about it. keep your wits about you yeah. he's like oh anyways picard fights wesley in the observation lounge and asks why wesley's not in his dress uniform and wesley doesn't think that he should go to the farewell dinner and he feels ashamed because he has failed to get into the academy and he's failed picard he says i've let you down i've let the enterprise down and picard's like that's ridiculous he's yeah like, and they have a really good talk here I, this yeah. is a great conversation he yeah he says you have to measure your successes and your failures within within and he, though he's like leaning over a chair and yeah. just kind of gesturing to his chest and again not by what anyone else thinks or what i might think he, he's like did you do your best when you test again next year are you do you think you'll do better like that's what's important it's not about it's not about whether you got in. It's about did you try as hard as you could? Did you learn from it? That's it's which is again a very good lesson. Yeah, I would like to think. Okay. Yep. That the experience with I, I would like to think that Picard was still on the fence at this point about whether he's going to take the commandant of Starfleet Academy role, mm. but then having a conversation with Jake and then with Wesley, he realized he's like this would be my life. And I don't want to do this. <laughs> no, but, it, but you think that he 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 didn't enjoy those conversations that much? He's like, no, this is yeah. Not he's what like, I to he's do. like, this is he's like, that's what it would be like because it's true. And it's like, like you know, like I I teach math and English. I love teaching math and English. I went into teaching math and English because I love those subjects. Sure. But like, if I didn't want to spend my time supporting youth with all kinds of things, right. As teachers have to. Teaching would not be a good profession for me. Like, I I can't just focus on the content. And I feel like that's what he's like. He's like, oh, this is what I would be doing every day. I would have 15, 16, 17 year olds coming in being like, I messed up again. Yeah, I broke it. I messed up my life. I almost killed myself in a shuttlecraft accident. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's probably very true. Yeah, Yeah. so Picard has a little think and he's like, "Mm, nope. 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 Uh, But I jumped ahead because we do get one very important piece of information. We learned that Picard failed the first time he took oh, the yes. entrance exam. Yes, yeah, and he, and then Wesley's like, "You," <laughs> just to rub it but in. You know that, and I think that's also really good. Like, you can fail the first time; you can not be successful at something and still do an amazing job at it once you finally are successful. And I think that's the one part about examinations in my life that wasn't stressed enough, either at whatever stage. It, yeah. it almost felt like every single exam and every one of them was make or break for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's what the, the tone and the atmosphere of, of school often felt like. It's like this is make or break every single time. And that messed with my brain. Baloney. Yes. It's not, right? Because like 
Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. It's something I wrestle with all the time. Like, and mm-hmm. I think that's where some of my you know stress around making everything needing, needing to be perfect all the time is that everything is, everything is make or break. And that's, it's yeah. just not the truth. And so, yeah. Anyway, so Picard says he has to go disappoint an old friend. Yeah. So he ends up in the transporter room with Quinn and they say their goodbyes. And Quinn says that maybe he's been playing politics for too long and just sees conspiracies everywhere. But it's kind of that hint that maybe maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's something going on. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So then they go back to the bridge and there's I, I kind of like this last moment between uh, Wesley and, and Picard where he's like, all right, Mr. Crusher, set a course for Algeron 4. And they kind of look at each other and Wesley sets the course and then yeah. he, he says, engage. Regardless of everything that's happened, hey, he's still on the helm. Flagship of the Federation. That's yeah. not so bad. Not too shabby. And off they go. I like this episode. I do like like I said, like there are there are issues with how the, the test is is portrayed, but I think that we see some good relationships. I think we see like loyalty, but not like uncritical loyalty. Like we see that that the crew really trusts and cares for Picard mm-hmm. and and but that it, it, it doesn't feel like forced. Like it's it, he's earned that trust. Yeah, and the fact that yes, there are examinations and tests and as we talked about, they're problematic. But in the end that the theme is less about pass and fail and more about mm-hmm. your own measure of success and yeah. what and how you feel about it. And my favorite scene I think is the scene between Wesley and Worf. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And we need more Worf like that. Yes. All right, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you like what you heard, if we've if we've passed your test, let us let us know. <laughs> or or if you just think that like, you know, we're we're doing well for our own standards. <laughs> no, we because of all these examinations, we need numbers for self-evaluation and self-validation. So <laughs> please leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Yeah, no, actually do it. Do it. Do it, do it please. please. We need numbers. That's it's you, all we know how to evaluate ourselves by. If you, well, okay, if you didn't like it, you can just stop listening. You don't need to evaluate. <laughs> you can just not listen anymore. But if you liked it, you know, five-star rating five and a little rating. review ta- telling us what you like. It's always helpful. Tell us that you love us. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to tell us about your experiences writing tests and exams and learning that that's actually not an accurate measure of your worth. I am Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if you need counseling and support, hey, don't underestimate a Klingon. <laughs>